0: Next on Remote Space, what an IT company learned about being remote a year before everyone else. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough!
1: <laughs> Working from home, not as much fun as you imagined... Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work,
0: and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. Chad Ginnothy is the CEO of Bright City, an IT services company. It supports over 200 businesses supplying technical services, everything from security to helping print a document. I wanted to talk to Chad because of an experiment he did with his company in the spring of 2019 that has paid big dividends. Chad, I'm happy to have a security expert here since I want to get to the bottom of this scenario we always hear about. Let's say I'm in a coffee shop at an airport and I know I'm on their public Wi-Fi. How is someone spying on me?
1: That is a fantastic question. Well... When I am consulting with business owners, executives, people who invest a lot of their time in traveling, or people who are just you know, popping by a Starbucks even to utilize the internet, my first recommendation is stay away if possible. Let's start off by making the recommendation, Verizon, AT&T, wireless companies in general, who allow you to hotspot your phone I typically make that my first recommendation in any sort of I need Wi-Fi situations. That is your first go-to. You, it You, is less likely that something bad could happen. Nothing is perfect. Nothing is perfect out there. Totally. Yeah, but less likely.
0: You know, we always hear the scenario. I mean, I picture somebody in a World War II uniform in the corner with a transistor radio, you know, hunched over. And I know that's not it, but I'm just, I'm curious how they're doing that. I'm on the Wi-Fi. I'm, I'm looking at social media or whatever, and somehow they're spying on me or might be taking my data. I'm just curious, what, what are they doing? Are they in a program? Are they uh, have a transistor radio with a radio antenna? <laughs> I mean, what, what are they doing?
1: Well, so one real easy way for something like this to happen is many times people will set up their own hotspot and call it the same name as, say, the hotel you're staying in. So. Hilton Guest, as an example. So, when you connect to that Hilton Guest, you're actually connecting to their router or their wireless system that they're broadcasting. So, what they can do depends largely on sometimes the security set within your computer itself. If you don't have a username or password to access your computer, they can simply see your network, uh, your computer over the network at that point in time. So, just like you know, you hit whack, whack server name, or you go to a server share uh, within your environment, uh, say a, a Windows server, local office environment, you're accessing that computer via or that server by a computer name over the network. And you're utilizing those files. If you're on the same network as the person broadcasting their wireless ID, they can do something similar to you. They can type in your computer name and see what kind of files they may have access to. So now when you get into the, I'm truly on the Hilton network and what can they have access to? I will tell you that's getting into an area that that's black hat coding aspects of things that, I don't know that I carry the expertise. Unfortunately, uh, maybe I, maybe you know I oversold myself, Doug, <laughs> in being able to properly answer that question. Uh, but there's de- there's definitely things. I mean, I've I've heard things. You know, they're able to sh- to uh, steal data now through the, the sound of the fan, believe it or not, rotating on a on a computer. So there's so much out there that uh, in this in the security space that uh, it's kind of scary.
0: Yeah, it is. And I know the main thing is I always ask for what their Wi-Fi name is, just in case I find, you know, as you said, Hilton, that there's three Hiltons listed. I know which one is theirs. And then the second thing is, yeah, if you're so if it sounds like if you're a public Wi-Fi, there is kind of this two way system that somebody probably in the same space is on a computer. They're just kind of sniffing that Wi-Fi channel for other computers on it. And then you turn into some movie that we've seen where some hacker.
1: Well, one thing I always like to recommend is if you have to jump on a public Wi-Fi, slow down, make sure that you are in fact, to the best of your knowledge, accessing a true public wireless system. Many of the wireless systems today, and I I was just at a hotel uh, the last couple evenings and I jumped on their public, mainly because I wanted to see if it was faster than my Verizon connection and i slowed down i made sure that the splash page that came up for the hotel i was staying was as best i could tell legitimate it had proper imaging of the hotel's name it had links to the hotel's website and for for all intents and purposes it felt legitimate so you know we we move so fast today a lot of times security issues come up because we just click yes yes next and get on to the next thing in the area of cybersecurity slow down evaluate the situation and make your next best decision
0: that's great it's so just like with the the abundance of phishing emails we've seen in this time if you slow down, you can easily you know, see the signs that this is not a legitimate email. It's when you rush fast that you find yourself in trouble. So, is, so I'll come back to, to say that you're an expert. I, I think that's a really good common way to think about it that uh, will get us past uh, uh, some trouble spots. You're a uh, CEO of Bright City, which is an IT services company. I'll ask a standard question. What's an IT service company do?
1: Great question. IT service organizations like ours operate in an outsourced model. We typically assist and help companies who do not have an on-site IT support staff or person or the smartest guy in the room type scenario where they're looking really to leverage consulting services, ongoing security services, backup and disaster recovery, or as simple as, hey, I can't print type scenarios. We come to the rescue, uh, much like you would outsource, you know, uh, CPA for your business or your HR, we are outsourced IT. We like to say, instead of being down the hall, we're just down the block.
0: So you're in Orange County in in California. Are most of your clients local? Is it important to have a local IT support or in the world of cloud, they could be anywhere?
1: Are you asking me this question in 2019 or in 2020?
0: Well, that's true. Uh, Why don't you give me both answers?
1: Obviously, COVID this year has changed the landscape of IT. Work from anywhere. As as we all know, people are exiting the cities and going to this, you know, remote locations. Offices are terminating their lease or they're downsizing in, in many cases. So I would say that in 2019, there was more if more of a focus for us on finding companies that are here local. And being able to provide good service means sometimes, you know, many times I have to go to you to resolve the problem rather than forcing the client to, you know, get under the desk and start plugging things in or whatnot. Now, that is changing. And I think it's not any new news to anyone. That is becoming less important. Less people are coming into the office. Many people today, and I hope this changes, don't want to have someone pop by their home From our firm just for safety reasons. Uh, So the need of local is definitely decreasing. There's still advantages. There's still benefits. But in a cloud world, in a COVID world, we can be very successful supporting you 100% remotely.
0: Great. Yes. So it'd be interesting to see how that dichotomy changes, let's say, 18 months from now. And and to see, I mean, that's not just true for IT services—that's true. From I think for everything, so uh, that's part of the stuff that we're exploring uh, in this podcast series. But uh, let's let's talk about you. In so long ago, it's almost eighteen months ago, but it seems longer, of course. Your company did an experiment in April of twenty nineteen on on working remote. Tell me what led up to that decision, and 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 what did you decide to do in April?
1: Yeah, so I think it was April second. I was sitting at home, and I asked myself the question what is the benefit to my clients in having all of my staff come into the office each day only to feel more tired after their one-hour commute and definitely less happy than they were when they left earlier that morning? And additionally, many times, you know, jump in the car and go to the client office or just sit in our office and perform tasks remotely. What would it look like if I just asked everyone to get up and commute to their desk right next to their bed and start work? And one thing that I love is we love to do experiments here and you know we can make assumptions and plan and sit in meetings and whatever, but we just like to say, let's try it. Let's test it. Let's run an experiment. And so we did a 90-day experiment. We called it our summer staycation. We gave everyone a 10-day notice, sent them home. They set up their desks and on April 15th, we had everyone fully remote. We had a cloud-based phone system at the time, which made it that easy. All of our... You know, file systems were sitting in in Microsoft SharePoint 365 services. And uh, it was a very easy kind of migration for us. So we said, 90 days, let's give it a try. And I will tell you this, after 90 days, everybody loved it.
0: Wow. And how many people are we talking about here? How many many were on your staff? So at the time, there was 22 of
1: us, I believe. Uh, We have 33 of us now today. And we're operating in the same manner. So when COVID hit in March... Uh, It was really nice from our perspective. We were able to focus 100% on making sure our clients were able to make that shift to home. We didn't need to spend any time on ourselves because we had already done it.
0: So the experiment worked so well in 2019 that when 2020 hit, did you have to add anything to the quote unquote playbook that you had learned in that time or everyone kind of knew the drill?
1: So I think the hardest thing in going remote is culture, relationship. Even knowledge dissemination, uh, one difficulty that we've run into is new hires and training. We are still learning, but very quickly, a, a couple things became apparent. One, we realized we need, first thing, every morning, a quick, you know Microsoft team's video chat across our small teams. So each of our teams are about three to four people, and they all jump on 8, 8:15, 8, a video chat so that we can see each other's eyeballs, still get that face-to-face greeting. And make sure that that person's not checking in from their bed. We had a couple situations <laughs> where over teams, one of the guys here, uh, I'll, I'll call him out by name because I love making fun of him for it. His name is Jimmy. Jimmy would would uh, say, hey, I, I'm online from his bed and then fall back asleep. And hour and a half later, we're wondering where Jimmy is. So we learned real quickly, hey, a, a little check in. Make sure everyone's at their desk, uh, a bit of accountability to kind of get the morning.
0: Make sure they're vertical, not doing it horizontal. Or anything exactly. Like exactly.
1: That. I love giving them a hard time for it.
0: In that 90 days, was there any other thing that you said, wow, we're missing X because we're not in the same space?
1: I can honestly say no. I wish I could give you a more fancy answer, but it, things really did just go well. I don't, I don't think any HR people out here will want to hear this, but, uh, we had a lot less HR issues because, you know, if you're working with someone who you maybe don't get along with very well, or, or, you know, they say a certain word throughout the day that bothers you, guess what? They're no longer sitting right next to you. So uh, we spent less time dealing with
0: internal office affairs and more time just getting work done. Interesting. Did people just grab stuff from the office? Did you need to make sure they had certain software or physical items in their, in their space? Because I assume like any company that does this, some people are kind of situated where they can work well. Some people are probably sitting at a dining room table. Was there anything in, in the physical structure that, that you had this to help people get set up in their homes?
1: So the the general setup that we have is a laptop, dual monitors with a docking station, webcam, and a wireless headset and microphone. That is our standard setup. Many people did have some space difficulties. So we provided all that as a company, obviously, all all of those things. Uh, when it came to the actual physical desk in the space, uh, there were a couple people where they did need a desk. They didn't have a good place to throw desk. They didn't have a, an existing desk, where their their kids took over all their desks because they're all home. So we provided desk where necessary, but for the most part, everyone kind of made it work because it was such a value add from a work perspective to be able to deal with the random things that come up when you're, you know, when you're at home or just random things that life throws at you, you know, people rolled with it. They rolled with any kind of weird issues they were having at home because the benefit was so good.
0: Did you notice any difference uh, or what were the differences when you came back after your summer staycation? So fall of 2019, what was the office like? Did you notice any difference?
1: Doug, it was so good. We didn't come back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the one benefit we had was we were on a month-to-month lease in our current space. So we actually terminated the lease April 30th and said, "Hey, if this doesn't work out, we'll go find a new office." So we were all in after 90 days, and you know, took a poll within within the company, and everyone said, "Yeah, let's keep going."
0: Now, did you decide to make a new office somewhere, uh, or everyone's even you working from home? So I worked from home for about a year.
1: In January of this year, we acquired another small IT company here in Orange County, uh, based in Irvine. And that acquisition came with an office lease uh, that is terminating De- December thirty first of this year. So I choose to come in the office now just to uh, have quiet time, uh, attend a podcast with you here like this, where there isn't kids in the background because I have three of them. So there's a couple use cases where we have felt the need for not a large office but some sort of hub for us as a firm is potentially a, a good idea and a couple of those scenarios are and probably the biggest one is is new employee training extending culture extending how we work how we do things how we think we have not yet got good at that in a remote fashion we depended largely on in person interactions to kind of share the heart of the company and so What we want to do going forward on any new hiring we're we're currently interviewing as we speak, Uh, the expectation is that someone from Bright City will join a new employee for, you know, we're speculating two weeks, two to four weeks here in the office of that, you know, first part of their employment. Once we can get to know them more quickly, are they the right fit? That's harder to do when you're having just, you know, intermittent interactions throughout the day. Also, Here's how we do things and get them trained up more quickly. So I think that's been the one downfall of going remote 100% and being a fully virtual company. But we believe this will resolve that problem.
0: Do you think in 2021 that you will find a new building?
1: Yes. So that is the plan right now. Uh, We have more space than we need here. So we do intend to find a new lease or purchase come January 1st and kind of start over there.
0: So... Talk to me a little bit about being a CNO of a company, of a company working remote when a pandemic hits.
1: Yes. So, I mean, I think everyone will agree and every owner out there will agree. I mean, the first 60, 90 days was just incredibly uncertain. In the IT space, I mean, we were going nuts. Uh, our heads were spinning because of so many needs from our clients to get them set up and working from home. Uh, so we we had a lot of time invested after hours and on the weekends to make that happen. But, you know, I think what's difficult from an ownership perspective is really ensuring that one, you still have the right people because those interactions are more limited now. Are the people that we have on board, are, the, are they living and breathing the culture of, of Bright City? Are they representing who we are and what we desire to be represented? And, you know, there's, there's a couple of ways that you can measure that. I think you have to kind of choose your path, and what I mean by that is, you know, there's there's two types of, of, I'll call it management. You've got your command and control, you know, the guys who want to know how much time have you spent on in every application, you know, using remote tools or or whatnot on a daily basis. You know, what's what's the percentage of productivity versus you know not being productive throughout the day and measuring every you know dotted I and every cross T, and then you have the others you know, another form of management, which is more on what I'll say the the trust side. So there's a book by Stephen Covey called The Speed of Trust. And in that book, he, he basically says, hey, I, I trust you. And I believe you're an intelligent person. And I want you to move at the speed of trust. Make the decisions. You don't need to reach out to me, you know, before you take a left or before you take a right. Assess the situation, make that left-hand turn. And if you blow it, Hey, we'll talk about it. Guess what? You'll learn from it, and we'll move on. And I and I think, I think I've had to up my game in that area so that the team can make quick decisions and not be dependent on whether or not I'm available, our management is available, or, or whatever the case might be, because the client ends up suffering. The client ends up being the one who's now waiting. You know that issue is outstanding for longer than it should be. So extending that trust all the way to the front line. In a remote virtual environment, I think has been a huge benefit for us because we've been able to maintain that same speed of service that we had when we were all sitting together, in, you know, in a in an office.
0: That's great. So, do you usually get calls from new clients because, oh my gosh, we just had this terrible issue? Uh, what's the percentage of people who've had a terrible issue and are, oh my gosh, we need help versus some people who are just know they need this prevention?
1: So, great question. The majority of net new client calls that we get. So we, we support companies in a monthly service agreement. We become your IT department. That is our goal. So I don't typically handle calls of, you know, onesie, twosie, or I've never heard from you before and you want us to come in and do one thing and then we never talk to you again. We're about the long term relationship. That's, that's our goal. And that's how we believe we can be an advocate and a benefit to your business because cybersecurity situations and backup disaster recovery situations. Uh, They can come at us any day. So the majority of calls from net new people I haven't spoken to, they actually already have an IT company and that IT company's not doing a great job. That's the majority. I recently have had a couple more calls than normal, I will say, that are cyber-related issues. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, we acquired a new client due to an unfortunate situation. They had a ransom attack within their business all the files on their server have were ransomed. All the, the backups had been deleted. The attacker logged into their online backup vendor and checked the checkbox to encrypt that backup. They logged into the owner's Microsoft OneDrive account because they, they found his credentials through the breach and deleted everything there. Uh, so they really got their hands into the entire environment and either deleted the data or encrypted the data. And we were able to come in and, and help. We ended up having to rebuild the entire network. But it was an unfortunate situation where, you know, as we talked about security earlier, this whole cybersecurity space, you know, it continues to be a moving target. And it's unfortunate. So many companies are, you know, getting hit and threatened by it.
0: And ransomware is where someone says they have your data and you have to pay them money or they don't get it. And you could pay the money and just like any ransom, who knows if you actually get the data back. And I don't need to get into this particular client's dilemma, but are those sophisticated attacks or they just know where to look? And some people just keep things like passwords in, a, in an unsecure place. So
1: maybe the best way to answer your question is examples. I mean, in this situation, it was unfortunate. The IT firm person who was taking care of their account in an outsourced fashion their system was breached and on their system was the usernames and passwords to the clients networks that this person was taking care of. So they had all the keys to the kingdom. And in this case, six other clients were also ransomed over that same weekend. So the I think the asking price was two million dollars for all seven firms to get unransomed. That's what they were asking for. Cheapers. Yeah, it was a it was a, it was a hefty price tag. In this example, it was a good happy ending. I mean, all the day, we got all the data back, did not have to pay the ransom, and things were good to go. Now I've seen some other attacks that are very specific where uh, the attacker purchases a domain name, one letter off from the company that they're trying to attack. So in the case of let's say Bright City, maybe it's you know dot onecom or you know something very similar, and they then get to know who's here at Bright City. They maybe visit LinkedIn, they maybe visit Facebook and they find out the the players and the people and the positions and they begin to communicate to the staff as myself or as my business partner or as someone from accounting with what appears to be an apprightcity.com email domain and seeking information. And all it takes is for them, you know, for one of my team to reply one time to maybe just a very simple request and then they can lead you down a, Email communication where you feel or someone on my staff feels like they're communicating with me this whole time and, you know, give away company data. So in, in the social engineering side of cybersecurity world, that example is the number one threat. It's no longer my antivirus, my firewall. It's, you know, we are the weakest link in the security world. It's the people because we're so susceptible to falling for something,
0: Right. Yep. and goes back to what we talked about at the beginning about uh, slowing down. Sometimes is the best medicine for some of the stuff. To if something looks off, it probably it probably is. Any other uh, you know, just a, a an aha moment about security that uh, people should just kind of uh, keep in their back pocket as they're thinking about these things that you have.
1: I'll recommend what I believe to be today the best thing you can do to protect yourself if you're only going to go out there and do one thing and that is multi-factor authentication. We are a big Microsoft shop, and thanks for having me on this call, hanging out with you today.
0: (laughs) I I can't get you a discount. I cannot get you a discount. (laughs) Ah, darn it. Um,
1: But many of our clients utilize the Microsoft 365 environment, you know, for email, for files, uh, you name it. I mean, that platform is growing, and we're leveraging it more and more to assist the companies we take care of. If you are not running a multi-factor authentication 365 environment, you need to turn that on today. Call your IT vendor, call the smartest person in your office and get it turned on. I mean, that is my number one recommendation. We've seen too many credentials get compromised and all it takes is one and it can get pretty ugly pretty quick.
0: Right, and let's just try to explain it for folks who don't know it because a lot of people face multi-factor authentication because you go to a site and says, hey, do you want to turn this on? And people think it's going to be a major inconvenience. So this is where... Instead of just a name and a password, you have to do a second factor. So usually it's they're going to text you something to your phone or their apps for that. But that's the, the second factor, that it's more than just a username and a password. Uh, does that sound right?
1: That is 100%. Doug, I could hand you my password today and you would not be able to access my email. I mean, that's the beauty of it, is it adds that second form of authentication requirement above and beyond a password. So, yep, you're 100%.
0: Great. So again, for people out there, if you go to a site like LinkedIn and it, it's been asking you for six months, to want, do you want to do this? Take a few minutes and the answer will be should be yes. It takes just a few minutes to set up. And then if I remember right, you won't have to turn it on unless you or change machines or change browsers or whatever. But if you log in with the same machine on the same browser, you won't have to do that over and over again. It's just one time, I, I believe.
1: Yep. Most times that is the case. It varies per site and per service, but typically they give you a little like checkbox that says, remember me for the next 30 days or the next 90 days, or remember this computer in general, which is always nice.
0: Great. Chad Gniffy is the CEO of Bright City, which you can find in Orange County, California. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for your time today and uh, joining us here on Remote Space.
1: Doug, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's always nice to jump on podcasts like this and uh, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned
1: from those working in the remote space.